There we go. Amateurs. <laughs> okay, when it seems so impossible for us to forgive those who have hurt us or taken advantage of us, when we just don't have what it takes to love like the scripture tells us to love, what do we do? I need that clicker, Karen. That a girl. <laughs> Henry Haynes writes, when I think of drawing from the source of love, I can't help think of Corey Ten Boom. Many of us maybe have heard this story, but her family had all died in Nazi concentration camps, and their crime was hiding Jews from the, in their home from the Nazis. And it's really something else when I was putting these pictures up. I've got just three pictures, and this is the toughest one to look at, but... You know, when you look at these kids, just think of these kids. They're human beings. Look at this little guy, you know, and this young lady. And, you know, the, and this poor lady, smile for the camera. It's awful. It was grievous to me. It was, just, it was tough, you know, putting these down and, and going through these. But, you know, it's just unimaginable that this can happen in life, but it does happen in life. And somehow Corey Ten Boone had survived, and the war had ended, and the camps had been liberated. And Corey was speaking. You see this picture here, you know, this, this lady probably was, had something to do with all of this, you know, was maybe in there, because there's obviously a tour going on. But in just beyond our comprehension of that kind of a thing. But... Uh, the camps have been liberated, and Corey, she just happened to survive this somehow. And she was speaking in various churches, sharing about God's love and faithfulness that takes place even in the midst of incredible horror. She says that it was at a church service in Munich that she saw him, a former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center of Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was there, all the memories flooding back over me. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister's, sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. This man came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and glowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he says. To think that as you say, he has washed all my sins away. His hand was stretched out to take mine. And I, who had just preached to the people in uh, Bloomingdale, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity, and so again I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I, as, uh, as I took, this, took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. 
while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on Jesus. So Lord, we come this morning and we pray that you'd help us to hear what your spirit is saying in regards to love and forgiveness and compassion and mercy, all that you have to offer to each one of us, Lord God, and all that we need to offer for, to others for our sake. Lord, we just commit this service to you and pray that you would speak and help us to be set free from the things that the enemy would have trying to bind us up and tie us up with, Lord. Help us to hear what your spirit is saying. Set us free, Lord God, and empower us to do your work in the earth today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard it said, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of the Father in heaven. For he gives the sunlight both to the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives us, along with that command, the love itself. If Corrie ten Boone wanted to experience true freedom in her life, she had to trust that what Jesus was saying was true and that she had to obey this command to reach out her hand by faith to her enemy. She had to trust that God would give her the strength that she needed to be able to love this guy, regardless of how she was feeling, because this is what we as God's people are commanded to do. And this is what you call a true act of faith. We cannot think that we can do this kind of stuff on our own strength, in our own abilities. It's completely contrary to what our broken, our fallen nature says. But the believer does not function out of the fallen nature. The believer has been born again. We have been born of the Spirit. And Scripture says that this means that, in 1st, 2nd Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes, and he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And it's like the rich man who comes to Jesus and is asking him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus told him he had to surrender the most important thing in his life, which was his wealth, the young man went away sad because he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they said. Jesus looked at them intently, and he said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Humanly speaking, it was impossible for Corey to stretch out her hand to this man. There she stood face to face with a big decision to make. And she was too weak to make it in and of herself. She says, even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, you could imagine. I saw the sin of them. This is her new nature speaking. Her old nature was in there, but her new nature overrode. 
I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, she took his hand by faith. The most incredible thing happened. She was set free. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. And while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Only by the grace of Almighty God can we do the things that God is requiring of each one of us to do. Have you ever sensed God was telling you maybe to give when you didn't have the resources to give? Or to maybe go do an act of random act of kindness? Or have you sensed maybe you're spending a season in prayer and fasting and you're just walking with God and, uh, and just an intimate season in your life with God and he's prompting you to do something that maybe is not totally something you're real comfortable with? I can remember a random time with Karen and I and for uh, some reason I had this handful of money, cash on me. I don't remember where it came from. I don't remember what happened. It was probably some concrete job or something. But Karen and I were sitting outside in our car in a laundromat, and it was a hot day, our windows were open, and a young lady came out of the laundromat, got into her car beside us, and she was sobbing, and she was so upset. She somehow had lost her money, whether it was been taken from the laundromat, maybe she forgot it in there, or she lost her wallet. We, I, I was talking to Karen about it, and we couldn't remember the details, but we remembered, we remembered the, you know, the center of this story that she had lost her money. And she was, the windows were open, it was a hot day, and she was talking to her parents, and she was crying, and she had, hearing her say that she had lost her money, and she was sort of stuck in this situation. She was, the, the impression that I remember is that she was going home, doing her laundry, her car loaded up, and she was going home to her parents, but now she was stuck. She couldn't go, she had no money. And so Karen and I just thought, what a great opportunity, and I got out of the car, and I went over to her, and I told her we had heard that she had lost her, the money, and I said, we want to help her out, and I gave her this money, and it was all she could do to take this money. She just wept, and you know, it was just about too much for her to handle, and then I just walked away, and we got in the car. I said, God bless you, and Jesus loves you, or whatever it was that I said to her, and then we just left, but it felt so good to be the hands and feet of Jesus that day. You know, and I believe that we were set there that day at that spot at that time with that money in my hand for that very reason. And I think all of us as God's people are led like this in different times in our lives. And how do we respond at times like that? Living Stones Church, this congregation is amazing. When a need is presented from the front here, it's amazing. You know, I don't know that we've ever heard the need mentioned more than once because you all respond so generously to needs that are presented before us as a congregation. I'm proud to belong to Living Stones Church, you know, because of the, just the heart of all of you. But this was an easy one. This is, you know, really easy and fun to do these kinds of reaching out to people. But what about when God is speaking to you to reach out to somebody that might be antagonistic to the gospel? That's not quite so easy. We're like Corey Ten Boone being asked to stretch out her hand to her enemy. Would we do that? Would we be willing? 
We're messengers in a dark world. Here in Red Deer, the pastors uh, at the hospital, they have chaplains. And then uh, they have a phone that the pastors take in the evenings. They will, different pastors in the, in the community will take this phone and you'll take it for a week at a time. And so you're, called, you're on call to go in if they need a pastor in the evenings or if you need a pastor on the weekends. And I've had quite some experiences with this phone. Like, maybe I'll share them as time goes on. But uh, one particular experience was I got a phone call when I had this phone to go visit this senior lady. Sometimes family members will phone the hospital and ask them to have a chaplain go visit their loved one. And sometimes their loved one is not aware that this pastor is coming to visit them. And sometimes these people don't want a visit from a pastor. But their loved one figures they need a visit from the pastor, so they send the pastor into this kind of a situation. Well, I had this phone one time, and I had this call to go and visit this senior lady, and this is good. I love to visit our senior citizens in the hospital and and even strangers go in and visit them in the hospital because the seniors are always got lots of history to them. And to hear their life story, it's always an interesting thing. Well, I walked into this room and I began to introduce myself to this lady. And before I could even get close to finishing introducing myself in a very colorful language, she says, you get the blankety blank out of this room. (laughs) And I stopped and turned and just walked out of the room because she did not want to visit from the pastor. And this kind of thing can be a little bit unnerving. But this is what we're called to do as God's people. When we're called to go, we need to go. And going into these kinds of predicaments is a little bit, you're just not sure what you're going to be walking into. And um, we're the hands and the feet of the Holy Spirit in the earth, and this is what we're called to do as pastors, but also as congregation, as the body of Christ. Well, we see... uh, We see Jesus encouraging his followers, telling them just before he ascends in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you in Acts chapter 1-8. Luke and Acts, at one time, they believed that they were one scroll. And because Luke is the author of both the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And when you read the book, the end of the book of Luke and read the beginning of the book of Acts, you can see they really do tie together very well. And then Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see a great example in Acts chapter 8 of this power of the Spirit that Jesus is talking about. When Philip is told by the Holy Spirit to go over and walk along beside that carriage, Philip ran over and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless somebody instructs me? And he urges Philip to come up into the carriage with him and sit with him. And the story goes on to say that this man, he gets saved, he gets baptized. And then as they're coming up out of the water, Philip is transported to another location. You know, and we think about these scriptures and we say, should we be having these kinds of experiences today? When there's the Holy Spirit speaking to us today, go over and talk to that person over at the teller. You know, go over and talk to that person that's filling their car up with gas. Many would say, yes, we should be having these experiences happening in our lives today. And so what does it look like when we're having these kinds of experiences? How do you respond when you're faced with an opportunity to be a light in a stranger's life? 
Too often we are so busy running to and fro that we don't notice all of the opportunities that are right around about us. I went to a group session with Karen when she was starting her chemo sessions. And uh, they asked everybody in the group to introduce themselves and talk a little bit about their life and what's going on. And this young lady spoke up and she was, you know, looked like to me in her 30s. And uh, when she spoke up, she was in there for the second time and she was distraught. She was really just down and out and in tears. The cancer had come back. And I had felt so bad for her. And as we're leaving, as we were going outside on our way to the car, and I walked over to her and I introduced myself to her. I said, I'm one of the pastors in the city of Red Deer. I handed her my church card. I said, I really, if you would like to talk, I'm more than willing to talk, uh, you know, anytime you would like to. And I handed her my card. I was hoping that I would hear from her, but I never did hear from her. And, but I've always had to be able to have the peace in my heart knowing that I did what I was supposed to do as far as giving her the opportunity to talk to a pastor in the city. We're all called to be a light and to be available, and we, I believe that we all need to be willing to take risks for the sake of people. We can ignore what we're sensing the Holy Spirit is wanting us to do, but becoming a Christian is a choice to take up a cross that is meant for each one of us, to live out this life the way that God has intended us to live it out, doing his will. We've all run in the opposite direction that God has commanded us to go at different times in our lives, but praise God for his grace and his mercy and his patience and perseverance in loving us as we grow and mature and become more like him, learning to do his will day by day. What direction are you going this morning? The direction that God has commanded you to go, or are you going in a different direction? This morning, we're going to be taking a look at the life of one of God's prophets who had this very struggle. We're going to be looking at Jonah. And in a sense, God told Jonah to reach out his hand to his enemies. God said to go, and Jonah said no. He blatantly rebelled against God and went in the opposite direction that God was telling him to go. And we see it says, the Lord gave this Message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, and he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. You know, as I was, as in Younger in my faith and coming to know the Lord and walking with the Lord and reading these stories, I've always been amazed, even you know, now, but especially then, uh, at how these people can blatantly not want to do what God is telling them to do. And I, there's a story of Abraham and Sarai where they're going down to Egypt, and in Genesis chapter 10, it says that at a time when a great famine had struck the land, forcing Abraham to go down to Egypt where uh, he lived as a foreigner, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abraham said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. <clears throat> when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him, and then we can have her. So she, 
uh, please tell them that you're my sister, and then they will spare my life and treat you well, or treat me well because of their interest in you. My thinking was, you know, that God had sent Abraham just before this, he had called him from Ur of the Chaldeans down into uh, the land of Canaan, um, and you know, like he had spoke to him clearly, God was with him. I was thinking, how could Abraham be afraid of anything if God is for him? Obviously, God had promised that he was going to be the father of many nations. Who's going to hurt Abraham? And so these stories sort of bewildered me as to why they would be afraid of anything when the creator of the universe is so clearly speaking to you and instructing you in life. But looking at uh, the situation of Jonah, that's exactly what he's doing. And uh, it says in the first couple of verses there, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction that the Lord had commanded. You know, I can't help but asking, why would Jonah do this? To any person of faith, this seems like a very obvious, illogical thing to do. Jonah had to know that there was no place that he could run on the face of the earth to get away from God. And yet we read that Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from God. He knew he couldn't run from the Lord, yet he ran. Was Jonah running from God or was Jonah running from what God was commanding him to do? What was it that was so bad then it is so, that he so blatantly was refusing to do what God was commanding him to do? Have you ever run from God and what he was telling you to do? I think that we experience these, more off, these moments more often than we'd like to admit. And it's no secret that sometimes the things that God asks us to do are pretty hard to do. And a lot of times, like sometimes, they seem like they're impossible to do. Just like Corey Ten Boone having to reach out her hand to this man. It was impossible for her to do in and of herself. The Apostle Paul says that, and he's talking to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We too can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So what's happening here that Jonah is so opposed to God's plan and potentially, at potentially saving a people that don't know their right hand from their left? There's a museum in England that have all kinds of artifacts from the great city of Nineveh archaeologists have found. And Nineveh was one of the greatest cities in its day, one of the greatest city, if not the greatest city in the whole world. Nineveh had walls around the city that were 100 feet tall, and it was wide enough that three chariots could go down side by side for stretches of 20 miles. And like this was unheard of in its day. It was a massive city, a very impressive city, but it was big in another way. It was big in sin. Nineveh was renowned for its wickedness. We see God commenting on it in verse 2 here where he says, Get up and go to Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. We also see the prophet Nahum. He makes some comments about Nineveh. Dead bodies rotting in the street, corpses stacked like cordwood, bodies in every gutter and alley clogging every intersection. Literally piles of bodies in the streets. The Ninevites were well known for their savagery, plundering cities and they would, where they would burn boys and girls alive, torture adults, tearing skin from their bodies and leaving them to die in the scorching sun. 
Archaeologists have actually discovered the ruins of ancient Nineveh and monuments that were built by various individuals of the, to their atrocities. One of these monuments says, I cut the limbs off the officers who rebelled. Another monument reads, Within it, the border of my land, I flayed and spread their skin on the wall. Another cruel Ninevite says, I cut their fingers and their hand, cut off their fingers and their hands, and from others I cut off their noses and their ears, and some of them I put out their eyes. These were wicked people. These were depraved people. These people make the Nazis look tame. And these are the people that God is telling Jonah to go and preach to. Jonah was a Jew, and these people were an avowed enemy to Israel. It would be like a Jew being told to go preach to the Nazis. Or like telling a Jewish person to go preach to somebody, to the Iran. And God's saying, if you don't preach to them, I'm going to judge them. Most Jewish people would say, good, judge them. Because this nation continually tells us they want to wipe us off the face of the earth. Jonah also knew God's nature to be compassionate and forgiving towards people who repent and turn from their wicked ways, and he did not like that concerning these people. In Jonah chapter 3.10, we see it says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. And Jonah complains about this in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, didn't I say, Lord, before I left home that you would do this? That is why I ran from Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. This is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God offers this compassion to every human being that has ever been born. And maybe you're a perpetrator this morning in need of this compassion that God is offering. I want to encourage you to reach out your hands and surrender to Jesus Christ because like the Ninevites, God does have a limit and he does bring judgment. Maybe you're the Jonah in the story and you're going in the opposite direction that God has commanded you to go. This same compassion and mercy that was held out to the Ninevites is being held out to all of us this morning. We need to take advantage of that compassion and mercy. We simply need to reach out our hands and surrender to Jesus and ask him to come in and be Lord of our lives and follow his leading every day of our lives, doing his will. We have to be aware as Christians that it matters if we obey Jesus and his commands. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. A very sobering scripture that I read here not too long ago says that not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from you, me, you who break God's laws. We're often too busy to notice what God is commanding of us to do. Many of us have had experiences in life where others have caused us great pain. And as a pastor and just in living life, I've heard some incredible 
painful stories in people's lives that have been unjustly and unfairly treated. And it's only by the grace of God that their crisis did not become my crisis because it's, it's pretty heavy when you hear some of those stories. My heart has gone out to them and, as, and it has been only by the grace of God that I haven't taken that on to my own life and made it oppress me. But as I sit in the place where I see God moving through, uh, through me into hearts of others that come into my office... I've seen incredible miracles of reconciliation and deliverance from the bondages that the enemy would desire to put all of us under. And it's an amazing experience to watch God speak to somebody and then watch them respond to him when he's speaking. It's hard to do the right thing when we've been hurt. It's a very hard thing, and God shows himself even more powerful. It's like the harder it is, the more powerfully God shows himself. He moves in miraculous ways as we surrender to him and allow him to be Lord of our lives in every area. God is for us. The question has to be asked this morning, what direction are you going? The direction that God has commanded you to go, or are you going in a different direction? You can't be worse than the Ninevites. You know, I worked with a, with a man that I shared the gospel with many times. We talked about it in many different ways. And he was always saying, you know, I, I'm not good enough yet. And it didn't matter how I said it. He didn't want to hear because he didn't want to make that commitment at that time. I don't know if he's a Christian yet today. But we can't be worse than the Ninevites. So that can't be an excuse. God was offering mercy to them. The same compassion that God was offering the SS man is being offered to us this morning. As wicked as the Ninevites were, Jonah says to the Lord, he says, I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. God is for all of us, but we must come to him on his terms. He's not going to bend to our will. We must bend to his. And, you know, like in our culture, and we see it happening down south, and we can see it happen here, you know, in Canada somewhat. We're a lot more laid back in Canada. Don't get too excited about anything. But God is asking us to be committed to the purposes, to his purposes and uh, regardless of what's happening in this world, what's going on in this world, and regardless of how risky it is for us to, to go out to be a light, to do the things that God has called us to do, he's commanding us to go and be, make disciples. That's his command to us as a church. That was the last thing Jesus told his disciples to do. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you to obey. I really sort of, you know, it's uh, amazing to me. I don't seem to start out these messages in this way of evangelism, but the ministry of an evangelist is to stir the body to go out and to make disciples. And that seems to be what my leaning, you know, what I feel like these messages always seem to, to go to that. They seem to be there in the scripture when I'm reading, and that's what I see, that we as a body, we need to, to get up and make disciples because we are the ones with the truth in this community. Of all the people in this city, we're the, boy, we are so fortunate. And the people we work with, you know, they know us and we live our lives and maybe we've shared with them and we don't have to share all the time. I worked in construction for 25 years here in the city. And when I started in construction, I was 
doing all the stuff they were doing, and I was doing it alongside of them, and then I got saved, and then I become, slowly become different. You know, I slowly, these, these things were dropping off as I was pressing into the things of the Spirit. And over that period of 20 years, I never led one of those people to the Lord. But they came to me over the 20 years. They would come to me with their problems. They would come to me when they were struggling. And that, and that was an awesome thing. And I don't know where they're all at today. I don't know if any of them have given their lives to Christ. But it's not about that. It's about us just doing his will and that's being a light. It's going out and doing what we feel that we need to do with our friends and our neighbors and, and the people around us. And it's as we do that by faith, that's what's exciting to the Father. And we're the light. And then... What it does, you know, it's, it's, it's eliminating any excuses of people saying, I didn't know. And it may cost us. It, you know, it, it, some people don't like that. Like that older lady in the hospital. She didn't want me in that room in any way whatsoever. She didn't even want to hear my, didn't want to hear me finish introducing myself. I don't know. It'd be interesting to talk to her and see why was she so hostile towards the gospel. Something's happened in her life. But I can't take that as personal. I went in there in obedience and that's all that God is requiring of us. The results that happens out of all of that is God's business. There's been a time in the hospital when I went to visit somebody and I was standing there with them. They had attempted to commit suicide. I was standing beside their bed. And uh, I left the side of the bed and I walked around the corner and I thought, ah, oh, man, I should say something. You know, I should go back to her and I should say something. I never, and that person died just after that. You know, that, does, that gets to you a little bit. That sort of drives the point home. Speak up when you get a chance to these people. Speak up to them. You know, so I just want to encourage you to go and just do the will of the Father every day. You know, it's, it's just, it's loving God and it's loving people. It says all the law, the prophets are summed up in those two commands. Everything else in the Gospels takes care of itself if you love God with all of your heart and you love people as you love yourself. That's all we need to do. Have a relationship. Like Jesus says, I never knew you. That's the will of the Father, that we know him, that we have a relationship with him, and then we love people. We care about them. We realize, hey, eternity is at stake here. We're here for a, just a blip. And if we can influence somebody to turn their heart toward Jesus, shed some light into their life, give them some hope, there's nothing better in life. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy, your compassion and your, and your drive, Lord God, to help us to be who you've called us to be in your likeness in this world. I pray that you would just give us the wisdom and the strength and, uh, Lord God, just the peace that passes understanding as we walk with you. Regardless of our circumstances, I pray that everybody here, Lord, would be living in that peace that passes understanding and uh, doing your will every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.